Hi everyone, and welcome to Moving Right Along, a Muppet Movie Podcast, brought to you by ToughPigs.com. This is the podcast where we watch the great Muppet caper two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Ryan Rowe. I'm your other host, Anthony Strand. And I'm your your special guest host, Brian J. Jones. Yes, there you go. I, I We are very excited uh, to have you with us. Um, of course, I'm sure... Uh, most people listening to this Muppet podcast uh, have read your wonderful Jim Henson biography, so we're very thrilled to have you here. Uh, I'm so psyched to be here, and it was great to go back and watch Muppet Caper, uh, Muppet Caper again. Yeah, well, that, that's good. It's always a good time to watch The Great Muppet Caper again. And today, we're talking about minutes 47 and 48 of The Great Muppet Caper, in which Marla, Carla, and Darla sneak into the Dubane Club and the song, The First Time It Happens, begins. So there's actually not a, a, a lot of Muppet action in these two minutes. Um, as we begin the clip, Nikki Holiday has just unlocked the back door of the Dubani Club. And I guess if someone's watching this for the first time, you don't know exactly what he's doing, but you can probably guess. Like You definitely know he's up to no good. Well, we, we know he's up to no good because... The only thing we know about him is that he's, a, you know, a ne'er-do-well brother who is a par- irresponsible parasite. That's true. And we've so also I'm, we've also heard the models talk about like getting revenge on Lady Holiday and what are you going to wear to the robbery? But I don't know if it's been made explicitly clear that Nikki and the models are working together yet. Plus, it's Charles Grodin. So, you know, he's up to no good because that's what Charles Grodin does in every movie. <laughs> yeah, there's right. just something about that guy. Uh, I don't know, Anthony. Did we talk about his shirt yet in a previous clip? <laughs> we, I don't believe so. Is it like purple? What do you want to call that color? Lavender. Well, he has he wears these flowered socks in the movie, so I I feel like it's kind of a a compliment to his flowered socks because it has a sort of flowery. Yeah, it's like pink and purple. Um, See, I haven't. I didn't read the script for this one, but it makes me wonder if, if that's a acting decision that uh, uh, Charles <laughs> made going into it, and he wrote some elaborate Frank Ozish backstory for his character. On <laughs> well, there is. Um, we'll probably get to this later, but uh, in, in a future minute. But Charles Grodin did write this this weird like essay. Uh, <laughs> thing for I, what I forget what magazine it was but um about his encounter with the real Miss Piggy <laughs> like how he met her and they almost had an affair and that kind of thing so I wouldn't be surprised yeah if he wrote some kind of background w- for his character it was for uh Vulture so New York magazine okay yeah in in 19 or in 2011 <laughs> right so when the muppets came out yeah the, that movie. so not not like you know, not in 1981 or something. Yeah, it was, right, it was right. decades later. Yeah, so he's a guy who who probably put a lot of thought into this character. <laughs> uh, so then, Marla, Carla, and Darla arrive in a car with the license plate NKY4, which I also uh, just noticed recently. Um, presumably, NKY is a reference to Nikki, which means this is not the most inconspicuous license plate they could be driving for this robbery. Now it makes me wonder if Jim being the car guy like was like very like personally picked out this awesome sports car to be driven in this scene too. I don't know that, huh. but knowing, knowing the way he is, I'm guaranteed he was like, so maybe we want to make sure we have like I'm I guarantee he had it down to like <laughs> the year make and model on the car that they were gonna be driving. Yeah. Huh. I wouldn't have thought about that, but he probably would 
want to be involved in the decision of exactly what car was going to be used, right? Yeah. So do we think that NKY4 stands for this is Nikki's fourth car that he owns? Or do we think that their gang is called the Nikki Four? Oh, <laughs> yeah, it could be. Yeah. Marla, Carla, Darla, and Nikki makes four. Sure. Yeah. That's yep. True. Yeah, I think I like that. Although he probably does own four cars. Sure. I mean, he's squandering his half of the inheritance yes, all over. So. Exactly. He's probably bought all kinds of uh, ex- over-expensive race cars and things. Um, so then they, they go in and uh, sneak around to the back of the club. And, and, and huge applause and shout out for the, even with the period piece, the gigantic hairdo on this one. There's a, I, I can't, I don't know which actress has this gigantic brown hairdo, like very much a 1980s hairdo. Uh, one of the three models. Yes. Yeah, I think that is Marla. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's it's very poofy. Like, how, how do you get it? You have to use all the hairspray for something like that, right? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. 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 That is, you know, we we talked about there are not that many things in the movie that that date it to this time period or 1981, but I guess this hairstyle does look very much of that era. Definitely. So they, they come in and they're, they're just kind of sneaking around uh, the back of the dining room at the Dubani Club. And here's one of these minute details that you would never notice unless you had seen this a hundred times. Um, this was noticed or, or first pointed out to me by our friend and fellow Muppet fan and former podcast guest, Joe Hennis, who has seen this movie a hundred times. Um, so earlier in a previous episode, uh, we, we mentioned that the actor... That doesn't the guy who doesn't want Gonzo to take his photo because he's with a woman who's not his wife. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, he, that guy is played by the actor Reg Thomason, and then in the next shot after that, we also saw Reg Thomason on the dance floor dancing with a different woman. So also not his wife, also not his date. Now, when Marla, Carla, and Darla are sneaking around here among the the club patrons. You see Reg Thomason again at a different table sitting across from yet another woman. Oh, yep. So not a, not even not just a two-timer or a three-timer. He's a four-timer. But maybe after Gonzo made him feel guilty, he called his wife and invited her out. And she came. And maybe this one's his wife. Oh. Well, that's a... We don't know. Yeah, no. It's, it's, it's very possible. You don't like know Reg theory. Thomason's wife? <laughs> I certainly don't. So... Now, when they, when, they, when they finally cut to the moment where, like, Piggy and Kermit are dancing on the, and there's, like, all the tuxedo couples, who doesn't think of the Muppet at the dance segments immediately? Oh, absolutely. I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. know if that's intentional or not, but, like, I, like, I'm waiting for the punchlines to start flying on this one. Yeah. Well, even earlier, when, it, they, when they were playing that big band arrangement of um, stepping out with a star, I don't know, maybe just because it's a Muppet thing, but there's something about that that is sort of reminiscent to me of at the dance. And I wonder if it ever, if they were ever tempted to throw in a few (laughs) dance floor jokes like that, but it's probably not the time or place. Right. Actually, didn't uh, Joe Raposo write the at the dance music? uh, You know, I can't answer that for certain. I'm not sure he did. I think that was uh, the, the house musician who wrote that. That might be true. And if that is true and I'm wrong, maybe I'll just cut this out. <laughs> anyway. Sure. Um, can I say something about the models before we move on to first time it happens? Yeah, sure. Um, this is one of those things where 
when I'm watching this movie, I feel like it moves along pretty well, like very well, but in a small chunk like this, absolutely nothing happens with them. Like, yeah, they just kind of come in and like prowl the room and then you don't actually know what happens to them. Right. Like when this segment started, I was expecting to see them like plot with Nikki. Yeah. And they they don't, then they don't at all. We just kind of see Marla and Carla nod at each other. And then the camera follows Marla as she walks away. Right, yeah, it's just setting up what's going to happen, but nothing's actually happening yet. I think we also have to give props in this to Charles Grodin, because even though I was making fun of him and saying, like, well, he's Charles Grodin, and of course he's slimy, this is like, this is 1981, we have to remember, like, Charles Grodin hasn't really begun that career of playing that same, the only other movie he did this year, remember, was The Incredible Shrinking Woman, it's actually the same year as this, and he's like the the put-upon husband in that. But he like he hasn't gotten into like the Beethoven series yet. Um, he hasn't even done uh, what's the one he did with De Niro? Um, oh, Midnight Run. Midnight Run. I don't think he's done oh, that yeah. one. Yeah, point. that's that's like eighty eight. Yeah. Yeah. So this is like the early Charles Grodin when he's still the poor man's Charles Grodin. Well, but I mean, he'd done he'd done Heartbreak Kid, in right. you know with Free Lane May in the seventies, and right. um, uh, what's the what's the Albert Brooks movie Real Life? You know, that's like yeah. 79. Mm-hmm. So he'd, he'd been in stuff. He'd, st- you know, had star starring roles in things. Yeah. But this is like when he's starting that, <laughs> again, it sounds bad, like playing that same sort of character constantly. Now. Right. Right. Yeah. So maybe um, he's recognizable, but he's not yet doing his Charles Grodin thing in every movie. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, there is right. kind of a cool shot here where um the camera is following marla and then she goes behind this mirror uh, yeah i don't even know why it's there she goes behind this mirror and you can see across the room so marla is taking her position and when she goes behind this mirror you get a glimpse of i think this is carla across the room that's that's darla that's darla okay that's darla i apologize to to carla and darla i only know that because i double checked my notes from when they first appeared that's mm-hmm. good. Now, which one is when the, for the first time it happened? Like, uh, <laughs> yes, yes, cute, cute joke. <laughs> so, but uh-huh. that's kind of a cool way. Rather than just cutting to a different angle of showing Darla across the room, we we see her in that same shot and the the reflection of the mirror. But again, I don't know why this mirror would be there. Uh, well, it's just it, a cool reflective surface for the Dubani Club. Well, and also, and also, I mean, remember, so this is Jim Henson's first real feature-length film that he's gotten to direct himself. Yeah, this is his so first like, feature. So play with it, man. I have a feeling like he thought that was probably an awesome shot. And he's right. It is. It is, yeah. And it's not so weird that it distracts from anything. I mean, I think there are probably examples of first-time directors getting maybe a little bit too adventurous or a little bit too experimental. Because it is one of those shots where you go, oh, that's like we just did. It's like, that was an interesting kind of weird shot. And yeah. and again, there's not a lot going on. So that's kind of what you do when there's not a lot going on. Right. I guess. But it, yeah, it does convey some information and doesn't detract from anything. So yeah, good job, Jim Henson. You get to see where the other people are in the room. Yeah. I and mean, maybe that's what the mirror is for, because these rich people are maybe kind of, uh, kind of, arrogant so they just want to look at their own reflections all the time probably yeah that sounds right that sounds plausible (laughs) sure sure uh yeah so anything else before we move on to this musical number i like that we hear the first strains of the first time it happens as we see the models cross the room 
Right. Like I, I like that we're still on them as the music starts playing. Yeah, it kind of eases us from from this one thing that we're looking at into the next thing that we're going to be looking at. Yeah. Using the music. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so then the orchestra segues into the song the first time it happens. As uh, Kermit and Piggy uh, share a romantic dance on the dance floor. And actually, all I could think of as I was watching this is like, you know, what this looks like underneath. Like everybody, yeah. like everybody's got to be up on the platform to be dancing, and then Jim and Frank are down below the floor, down doing. And as Frank always said, in Jim's armpit. Like, do <laughs> I mean, th- th- I'm just thinking of the mechanics of this. It's a absolutely gorgeous shot, a gorgeous moment with the two of them dancing, and it's. I'm sure Jim and Frank are probably also literally dancing with each other. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they had to be really close together for this. Uh, yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, Frank Oz spent a lot of time. <laughs> in Jim Henson's armpit, or very close to it. Well, and it's such a subtle moment for them, too. Like, there are a lot of times where Kermit and Piggy are very broad, including in this movie. Right. And this is just, a, like, a nice, quiet sequence of two people who are, ju- are just getting to know each other and, like, realizing that they like each other a lot and yeah. sharing this tender moment. It's yeah, very no, sweet. That's It's a great point. I mean, it's, it's very naturalistic just kind of a loaded word but i mean it's it's i mean there's there's no there's nothing over the top in it i mean it's a genuine character driven moment yeah and you mentioned the the actors dancing on platforms behind them i I don't think we knew for sure but maybe you know the answer to this brian do you know for certain was this all on a soundstage and they built it up for the the puppets? I don't know. And I, I don't know if it's platformed up like they would right. do or they're down on, you know, the poor guys are down on their knees or not. Right. Or, yeah. Cause um, otherwise they could be like sitting on dollies rolling around, which would probably be even more uncomfortable. Yeah. Even harder, especially when you've got the characters that close. Yeah. yeah right. But, yeah. But the effect is seamless. Like you, all you see is a frog and a pig doing some ballroom dancing. <laughs> Uh, and this is a good song. This was nominated for an Oscar, and just like Rainbow Connection was, and just like Rainbow Connection, it lost. And at least it lost to a decent song. Rainbow yeah. Connection, <laughs> to the song from Norma Ray, is one of the great travesties of all time. It goes like it goes. It goes like it goes. I hope that the songwriter for that goes home every night and thinks about that. Polishing <laughs> 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 his Oscar, so don't get me wrong. You think they feel guilty about? about no, Rainbow Connection. But at, least, but at least this lost the theme from Arthur. Right. But the, the, like, the theme from Arthur is not as good as the movie, Arthur. <laughs> right. I mean, it's fine. I don't, I don't hate it, but it's, it's not as good as the first time it happens. I don't, I don't think. It's, I, it certainly has lasted longer in the public consciousness than it goes like it goes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I have actually never seen the movie Arthur, but I am familiar with Arthur's theme parentheses the best that you can do so and and I've I'm not like I've never heard the song it goes like it goes well that's that's what so. I always tell everybody I'm like okay everyone hum it hum it goes right like it goes. right no, nobody knows who it is it's just one of those one of those prestige songs for crying out loud yeah right uh, well the, um and I'm curious on this one and I don't and I don't know the answer on this one either it's probably a question maybe Nick Raposo could answer um you know I mean. What Jim went to Joe Raposo for the music in this, and not his go-to guy. He didn't go to Paul Williams, who had crushed it twice. Um, was it a matter of was Williams not available, or was Jim like, you know, well, we've used Paul. Let's do somebody new now. Well, I I, I wonder because then it was Jeff Moss in, yeah. in Muppet's Take Manhattan. 
Right. So they all have a different songwriter or songwriting team in the case of the Muppet movie. Yeah, I feel like I've heard somebody somewhere say something to that effect that he just kind of wanted to try different people on each movie and just kind of get a little bit of a different sound or a different sensibility, maybe. Yeah, that well, that would not surprise me. I don't know that for a fact, but that wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Well, I, I always wondered if Jim Henson had been able to make a fourth feature film with the Muppets, if, if the songs would have been by Phil Balsham and Dennis Lee from Fraggle Rock. <laughs> Probably. That would have you been know? a great choice. Yeah, who I think are, are brilliant. Yeah. But just, you know, because they did the songs for like Tale of the Bunny Picnic too around that time. Oh, yeah. That's some yeah. other stuff. So. Yeah, they would have been perfect for a Muppet movie. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, this is a the song itself. The it's I like the sentiment of it. The lyrics. It's kind of about how true love doesn't necessarily hit you in a big dramatic way, but you just have a feeling about it. No magical change. No angels appearing. No dreams to arrange. Well, I I know I I know that I've told you this, Ryan. I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast before or not. But this was my wife and I, my wife Rosalind, who's been on the show. This was our first dance at our wedding. Oh, no kidding. That's yeah, a very was, good choice. Was, was first time it happens. Wow. Yeah. And um, obviously, the- You're hardcore, man. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, we actually also entered our reception to moving right along. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, and I think most people like don't, didn't, you know, it's not a song that everybody knows. No. Everybody there knew that we liked Muppets, of course, but right. I think that it plays as a very romantic song in that context. It's yes. not like a joke song. It's not, oh, Miss Piggy's singing now. This is funny and weird or something. You know? Although I would guess that as soon as the voices came in, people probably chuckled. Right. To hear Miss Piggy's Although, again, voice they, and they, they voice. knew they were at our wedding. So, <laughs> yeah. So, it, but it, I don't. I don't think it was too much of a show. No, but so perhaps they just chuckled knowingly. You know, and and Jim, Jim right, right. Jim sings that's right. beautifully, actually. And I, I, I feel bad for Oz because I, I mean, Oz always says. I think the quote in the book is he says something like, "Any cab driver could sing better than I could." <laughs> um, but it's like singing in character is really hard, as all the puppeteers always say. It's like not only do you have to do the character, but then you have to sing as that character. And and Oz is great doing it as Piggy, but Jim. Jim's actually a really good singer uh, and really sings this song beautifully, I think. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think it helps that Kermit is much closer to Jim's own voice. Right. That's what than, I was going to say. Than yeah. Piggy is to Frank. You know, I mean, he's he's doing that falsetto, which has got to be tough. I mean, Jim's, you know, it's not identical, but Kermit Kermit's pretty close. Ernie's pretty close, you know? Yeah. Um, And whereas Piggy, he's already in high register and yeah. then he has to sing. I don't know. It's gotta be tough and and sings it really well but but uh you know as, as well as you can do in character but jim's jim's singing voice is is really nice um i i think he was actually very genuinely you know proud of his his ability to sing and you know didn't do it with this one but like charted with uh you know with rainbow connection that had to be psyched for that and and with ernie and with rubber ducky yeah and rubber ducky yeah yeah yeah, which, which again, is, that's, Ernie that is one's not... incredible to me that that people <laughs> yeah. were out there. Yeah, it was a Billboard hit. It's incredible that people are out there buying the forty-five <laughs> for Ernie. The forty, you know, like that's that's wonderful. The forty-five. So How great. old do we sound? Well, that's what it was <laughs> back it was. in the day. No, well, you know, you know, when, when I was a kid, we had singles. Oh gosh, so <laughs> so that's that's even worse. I feel like <laughs> yeah, for a number of reasons, but yeah, it's interesting. I, I feel like. Frank Oz probably became a better and better singer over the course of his time with the Muppets, but 
or, or at least that's what I've always thought. But now that I'm thinking about it, like, a lot of his early songs were like Grover or Cookie Monster singing, right. which is probably harder to do and, and uh, not although, so close you, to his real voice. So, Do you know What Do I Do When I'm Alone by Grover? Yeah. That song is from 1974, and it is gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess by that time he'd kind of refined his... Uh, his pipes. It's ju- it's just Grover like very plaintively singing about things he does when he's alone, and it makes me tear up every time. It, yeah. And isn't and isn't it stunning? This is the guy who was like, no, I was too nervous about doing voices, and Jim wanted me to voice, and I wouldn't do voices. Right. I mean, holy cow! And so versatile in him. Yeah, yeah. Once he yeah. started doing them, he did pretty well. It's so great. Yeah. What do I do when I'm alone? Was on the Grover sing the sings the blues compilation that I had as oh, a vinyl so record, sad. which. I listened to that possibly more than I listened to any other Sesame Street oh, see, as a kid. See, I had it on Sing, the hit songs of Sesame oh, Street. Oh, gosh. Ah. So, so that's where I know from. Yeah. Yeah, the song's been around. Sesame Street records are great. They are. And so is The First Time It Happens. So really, the rest of this clip is pretty much just uh, Kermit, Kermit the slow, waltzy portion of the song and Kermit and Piggy dancing and all these other uh, extras dancing behind them. It's, it's, it's just pretty musical for the rest of this, uh, this clip. So um, do either of you have any other specific thoughts on the first time it happens? Brian, I'll start with you. Well, I was actually, I'm, I'm scanning through the clip right now. And what's really interesting is it's almost all a one shot. Um, yeah. The camera stays on them for a long time. Yeah. There's very few cutaway. Uh, there's, there's one, there's maybe one or two splices. I mean, really, really tough. Um and and got it mostly in in a single take. It looks like I I think there's two other two other cuts in it, but yeah, there's a long shot of that's very close in on the two of them, just kind of waltzing around. And then when the choreography starts to get a little bit more complicated and and the the dancers are doing all these moves in in sync with them, that's right. It cuts to another long shot of them doing that. So yeah, that's that's cool. It looks good. Well, speaking of the dancers moving in sync with them. There's that right at the end of this clip, there's that great moment where Kermit dips Piggy and all yeah. of the other male dancers dip their partners in unison. Yeah. And it's one of those things where the choreography for that must have been so much fun to work out because like, you know, you know, in a, we've talked about Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. <laughs> if, if Fred Astaire dips Ginger Rogers and everyone else does it too, everyone else is doing the same thing as Fred Astaire. And here our lead couple are doing something completely different than all of the human dancers, but it has to read as the same thing yeah. on screen. Oh, right. Yeah. You mean no, like, because... I mean, Fra- Jim Henson is not dipping Frank Oz. No. <laughs> right. Like they're doing some complicated puppetry movements to make it look like Kermit is dipping piggy, which he is not. That's a very good point. It's not exactly what we think it is. Right. Yeah. But, it, but it also has to look the same as, as what everyone else is doing or the shot doesn't work. Right? Yeah. I mean, Kermit and Piggy aren't, they, they're not really dancing because they don't really have legs in the shot. <laughs> right. Exactly. So. Yeah. Another one of those fancy Muppet camera tricks. Yeah. I was, I was, I'm, I was doing with you, Anthony, I'm paused at 157, like right as that dip begins. So it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's really, and yeah, that's a uh, choreographer, Anita Mann, I'm sure, uh, worked, worked a lot on making sure the, the dancers she, and the Muppets were all together on that. She needed lots of men for this scene to be <laughs> the male dancers. Do you think she's like, uh-oh, this actress over here doesn't have a male partner to dance with. Hey, I need a man. <laughs> I need a man. 
Uh, I'm sure, you know, we, every time we mention her, we make that same joke. And yeah. Sorry. It's funny, but if that's not in the spirit of the great Muppet Caper, I don't know what is. <laughs> well, that's true. So, uh, yeah, Anthony, did you have anything else about the song or the dancing? I really like that Kermit. So Kermit, we, I think it's the first thing he says is the first time you see her, no magical change. Right. No angels appearing, no dreams to arrange. Right. But the first time that Piggy saw him, saw bluebirds flying around his head. <laughs> so <laughs> for her, actually was like, it's not angels, it's bluebirds, but it's not that far off. Right, right. For her, well, it was a big deal. Yeah, I guess that's why he doesn't say you know? no birds appearing. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's kind of a, a love at first sight thing, but it, it also kind of feels like it's, there's something just happening between the two of them here, something romantic that maybe hadn't quite, they, they hadn't quite gotten there yet when they first laid eyes on each other. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. Yeah, so that's really uh, pretty much it for these minutes. So, Brian, we like to ask our guests about their history with this movie. Um, do you remember the first time you saw it? Uh, the first time it happened, as it were? I saw this. I saw it in the theater. Um, I can't remember which theater. And it, it was at the time that I was like moving between New Mexico and, and St. Charles, Missouri. So I can't remember exactly where I, if I saw it in New Mexico or Missouri. But hmm. I do remember seeing it in the theater. And actually, my... What I remember more than anything about that movie is I walked out of it going, there was too much Miss Piggy in it. Oh. You know, it's like she has the big scene and she gets to ride the motorcycle in it. And I remember walking out there being like, that, that was too much Piggy. I, re- I remember that really sort of annoyed me. Going back <laughs> so and watching. So were you not a big fan of her on The Muppet Show? Um, yeah, yeah, boy. Yes and no. It's, it's like, it's one of those, like, I didn't want her to become the Fonz. You know, and like where the right. Fonz to do everything. Like, I didn't want Miss Piggy becoming the focal character of the Muppet Show. Right. She um, was definitely the breakout character. And yeah, this is kind yeah. of the peak I mean, of her popularity. You've got this great ensemble, and then you get this breakout character, and then the great breakout character gets everything. And the great Muppet Caper really kind of becomes, in my opinion, Miss Piggy's movie. Um, yeah. And when I saw it as a kid, I was like, I wasn't ready for it to be Miss Piggy's movie. Um, I get it now, but at the time, I remember walking out there thinking that was too much of Miss Piggy's movie. Hmm. Um, um, but, you know, I, I, I still liked it. But um, so where, where I rank this one is um, of the three, I tend to stay mostly within the, the you know, the, the triumvirate more than anything else. Like I don't usually start scoring them against post-gym stuff. Um, so I usually just have the three of them. Um, of the three Muppet movies, this is actually my bottom one. Um, I like, Muppet, okay. I like uh, Muppets Take Manhattan the best. Uh, then I like the Muppet movie, and then this one. Uh, All right. Now, now, hanging in my office is the movie poster for this one because it was directed by Jim Henson. So I like having the poster that says like Jim Henson presents and a Jim yeah. Henson film. Um, but uh, but if I, I I actually prefer uh, Muppets Take Manhattan. I think Muppets Take Manhattan is funnier. Okay. It, it, yeah. It has a different comedy vibe to it, but yeah, it's, it's a very different. It's a very different kind of movie. Yeah. It's uh, definitely they're both very funny in different ways. Well, um, Muppets, Muppets Take Manhattan feels so much like other comedies from the eighties. You, you know, like more so than this feels like more so than this does. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which I think is interesting. Like, I, I really like that about it. That it that, that it's totally similar to like Steve Martin and it feels Steve Martin and Charles Gordon in 
in, in The Lonely Guy, for example, yeah, yeah, is a right. movie that feels a lot like Muppets Take Manhattan. You know, it, it's weird. I don't know. Well, the, the thing I love about Muppets Take Manhattan is it's like, I mean, it's it's a very ballsy conceit in that you have the Muppets playing characters. So you have characters already playing characters. It's like this weird, like almost meta thing, but it's like, it's you know, they, they make it a great joke about Kermit and Fozzie being twin brothers, but like, you get the Muppets playing characters in that, which I think makes it really interesting. Yeah, you mean in, in, in Manhattan? In Manhattan, yeah, yeah. where suddenly they're co- they're college students, yeah. right? You get the, you get all these weird backstories from like, well, here they're still being the Muppets, right? Um, they're still themselves. They're still themselves in quotes, but like you get to Manhattan, they're 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 now actors playing other roles, right? Well, you obviously uh, did a lot of research on on these three movies for your Jim Henson biography. Did that? change anything about your opinions or did you gain any insights about this one maybe in, in doing that? Um, the one, the one thing that I really, the, the story that I really love with this movie is I like that Jim really, and this is so typical of Jim. I like that Jim really struggled with the name of it. Um, oh, yeah. I, I didn't know what to call it and had this big competition inside the company. And then like Lisa actually comes up with not really necessarily the final title, but like, this weird Frankensteining of like escapade and pig. And it's like the great pigscapade. I and think it was just the great Muppcapade or the great Muppcapade. Yeah, like, so and then they like, they out of that Frankenstein monster. Like that's when they finally realized it's you know going to be caper. So I, I love like Jim really doing a, like the team building with this, like everybody pitch in and let's come up with a good name for it. Um, and, uh, but I don't, I don't recall too much on muddling with the script on that. Um, whereas, you know, Manhattan took a while. Uh, this one, I I don't recall. Um, you know, if it was if it was the well, same kind of I, agony. We talked about this on the podcast towards the beginning of this movie. Um, Jerry Jewell wrote a draft, and Jim brought Jack Rose in to collaborate with Jerry to revise that draft. And then Tom Patchett and Jay Tarsus wrote a different script, and the movie is a combination of the 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 Jewell and Rose one and the Tarsus and Patchett. ah, there you go. So there, there, there was some like trouble getting getting it to crack right. I guess. Yeah, I think it it was a, but, maybe not as much of an ordeal as the Muppets Take Manhattan, but probably more than the Muppets movie was. The Muppet movie was. Yeah, and and I mean, in, in a way, I mean, definitely. To remember, Jim was almost forced to make this. Not that he didn't enjoy making, but like he got done with the Muppet movie, and he wants to go make Dark Crystal, and. Yeah. David Laser and Lord Grade, they're like, nope, we need the sequel. You got to get the sequel going. We, we promise you, you get Dark Crystal after this one. We'll give you the money for that, but you got to do this. So it's almost like this one's in the way, almost. I mean, it's like they've, <laughs> they've got it. You know, this is this is the this is the the bridge between the Muppet movie and Dark Crystal. Well, yeah, and I don't know if we've even mentioned this specific thing on on the podcast, but it it's crazy to me that there was, I think, six weeks between wrapping production on this movie and starting production on the, uh, the, on the dark crystal. Yeah, I think that's right. And it was most of like a lot of the same crew, most of the same performers. So just to do those two huge movies back to back is, I just can't even imagine. And when, and when did this one, and again, I haven't, I, I should have gone back and read all this stuff again, but I didn't. Uh, when did this one premiere? Uh, I don't know the exact date. Was it summer 1981? It I was assume? summer. Yeah, it was June 26th, 1981 was the go. release. And then Crystal was 82. So, all right. Yeah, yeah. and but, but uh, December. So it was like a year and a half later. Right. Okay. Yeah, and I'm sure the Dark Crystal took longer to shoot and longer to 
to do post-production. Definitely. But that's still interesting in that you've got a Muppet production almost at every year going, which is a pretty, pretty, you know, it's like, it's like when the Beatles were putting out, you know, 13 albums over the course of eight years. I mean, Jim's like, right. Jim's got something coming out constantly. Well, yeah, especially compared to the Muppet output now, which is yeah, we're just desperate for anything. Right. Well, but one, one, this is a slight tangent. One of the things that has always fascinated me is that the Dark Crystal premiered in December of 82 and Fraggle Rock came out less than a month later in January of 83. Yeah. So it's like both like these two very tonally different fantasies, like really fantasy epics about like, you know, interconnected societies were in pre-production and production at Henson at exactly the same time. Well, and, and two, you know, two projects, again, which are all about the world building, you know, something Jim loves, are all about right. building yeah. the world. Ex- yeah, um, Coming exactly. up with the rules of that world. And the one thing he does with Fraggle that he doesn't necessarily do with Dark Crystal is, like, he puts together that team with, like, Jocelyn Stevenson and Mike Frith and Jerry Joel. And he's like, you know, he, he gives them, like, the outline. And then he's like, you guys make the Bible. You guys create the, the rules of the world. And they went right. and locked themselves away and came back with that. So anyway, but it's these two you know, fully realized worlds, but you're, you're right. Anthony. what I love. And, and when I talk about, Jim, I put them up on the wall next to each other. I'm like, look what's going on at the same time. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like that's show, what's really you know, you amazing. The, yeah. You show, I like, I'll show the segment, the, the, the bit of like the Skeksis, you know, before when, before they, you know, edited out the sounds or like when they're having the dinner and they're making their croaking at each other and yelling and screaming. And it's a big mess. <laughs> You put the Fraggles up next to that, and then like, and I put up Fraggle Rock, and everyone claps with the music, and I'm, I'm like, these are going on at exactly the same time. I mean, this is again, this is like Jim Henson's brilliance, like got these two very different but incredibly cohesive worlds that he's building at the same time. Right. Well, and I mean, a bunch of the same performers too: Dave Goles, yep. Kathy Mullen, um, Jerry Nelson. I don't know if he, he didn't puppeteer on Dark Crystal, but he did voice work in it. Yeah, Frank Oz. Steve, Steve Whitmire. Frank Oz. Frank Frank Oz never worked on Fraggle Rock. Oh right, I'm sorry. I was I was uh, putting him. I was coming out of Dark Crystal into uh, in the Muppet Caper. Sorry, M- M- Muppet stuff. Yeah, yeah. But Steve, Steve Whitmire, I think, right, worked yes. on Dark Crystal too. Yeah, he's actually Rock. one of the few puppeteers whose voices you hear. As he's the the puppeteer and the voice of the scientist Skeksis. And now Mark Hamill is the voice of the scientist. Oh Skeksis. really? Oh yeah, and he's doing a great job. It's Mark Hamill on the new show. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I feel like I should know who the puppeteer is, but I don't off the top of my head. Someone, someone very talented. I'm, yes, like, you know, I'm, they're all very talented. So yeah, I'm actually never worried about the caliber of the talent behind the Muppets. It's the writing that they really have to, because <laughs> so, the, yeah, the, the performers, you know, right. are not going to phone it in. Like their performers are awesome. Right. Yeah. Doing the, right. the Tough Pigs website and writing reviews of many productions, I can't really think of any instances where we actively criticized the performers in any production. There may be some I'm missing, but yeah, that usually doesn't come up. Yeah, I mean, you almost treat it like when an actor's in a bad movie. You're like, well, you know, Brad Pitt, you know, did the best, <laughs> did the best he could with kind of a subpar script. Like that's almost yeah. what happens with the mobs. You're like, eh, you know, Kermit did okay with what he was given, and you know, it's like they, you're just like going to assume that they that the actors do a great job, right? Yeah, and Brad right. Pitt is the Kermit of Hollywood. There you go. I'm sure Kermit <laughs> would love to hear that. Yeah. More than Brad would. Uh, that's probably right. So uh, I think that's probably all we got for these uh, 
these specific minutes of the Great Muppet Caper. But are there any final thoughts? Uh, starting with you, Brian. Uh, I don't think so. I want to. I want to keep going though to the next two minutes and resolve all this. Well, I mean, we can definitely have you back for for a future clip. Excellent. So uh, yeah. And uh, Anthony, any final thoughts? No, I got I got everything I wanted to say. So in that case, we will wrap things up. And uh, listeners, if you can please check out toughpigs.com on the internet, on Facebook, Twitter, and everywhere else. Also, you can find me on Twitter at me, Ryan Rowe, and Anthony on Twitter at Zeppo Marxist. And Brian, where can people find your work on or off the internet? Uh, you can always find me running my mouth on Twitter at Brian J. Jones, spell it all out. Um, my website's also Brian J. Jones, running my mouth over there as well. And the last thing I want to say is I did have to Google and check it, and uh, Charles Grodin is still alive. <laughs> yes, he's in his 80s, isn't he? Yes, I think he's 85. Yeah, yeah. So, but, but he's still going, still with us. Yeah, and th- let's pause for a moment and pay homage and bow our heads in honor of Valerie Harbour. Yes, uh-huh. as of this recording, uh, very recently, uh, first season Muppet Show guest star Valerie Harper uh, has passed away, but everyone should go uh watch her episode of the muppet show in remembrance it's a good one also go watch the episode of the mary tyler moore show where rhoda dates phyllis's brother it's a good one and she's great in it yeah and uh also uh give us a positive review on apple podcasts or wherever you find podcasts and tell your friends about the show and join us again next week for another episode of moving right along see you later goodbye bye bye Hi, everyone, and welcome to Moving Right Along, a Muppet movie podcast brought to you by toughpigs.com. This is the podcast where somebody's phone rings and then they answer it. 